Good morning. I live my life in seasons. I grew up in India where I loved and embraced the humid heat of summer, followed by the cool, drenching monsoon that occasionally brought life to a standstill, followed by a mild and pleasant winter that gave me an opportunity to drape myself in the soft warmth of a shawl. I live my life in seasons. I've encountered a season of thankfulness for the things that brought me contentment, followed by a season of anguish, pain, loneliness, suffering, and even death. Death, not just of a loved one, but death of a way of being. This followed often by a season of surprise where sadness and despair turned to joy. I live my life in seasons. I've been taught a few things and learned a few things, particularly during the season of knowledge and learning. I have also been in a place where things that were taught to me, things that I learned, did not make sense anymore. Everything was upside down, inside out. Time of confusion and chaos. What has given me strength is the season of unlearning, unlearning the old and embracing a new learning, unlearning that which takes away life and relearning that which brings new life and respect for self and the others. I live my life in seasons. We all live our lives in seasons. Some of us attentive to it, some of us oblivious to the same. We live in seasons as individuals, as families, as communions, as communities, and even as nations. Each is in a different season, probably not in sync with the other. The land where I stand and you sit this morning has also seen its own seasons. A season wherein life was free and unfettered, where land was considered a gift to be shared, followed by a season of claiming and grabbing that which belonged to another, causing despair, loss of life, and grief. While many think this land has, been, has seen a season of, season of sadness turned to joy, many are still in despair, and many have yet to experience the joy that follows despair. There are other nations and communities also encountering seasons as we speak, some a season of abundance, some a season of despair. A Voice of America news article I came across yesterday reads, Authorities in southern Pakistan say flooding in the region is getting worse as the Solon Indus River breaches more barriers and threatens to inundate towns in Sindh province. Officials said Saturday evacuations from the historic town of Tata have emptied it of about three-quarters of its 300,000 residents. Levees protecting the town have been breached several times in recent days, although floodwaters have not yet reached its center. Pakistani authorities have been working to repair the barriers. Many residents of the region have taken shelter in an ancient burial ground on Muckley Hill, sitting out in the open with their cattle and all their belongings waiting for help. 
The United Nations says flooding in the region has displaced about one million people since Wednesday. The floods that began a month ago in Pakistan's mountainous north before moving south have left about eight million people dependent on aid for their survival. UN officials in Pakistan appealed Saturday for an intensified international response to this disaster, which has killed at least 1,600 people and affected up to 20 million. Secretary General of United States, Ban Ki-moon, recently said, Pakistan is experiencing a slow-moving tsunami. The nation of Pakistan, the people of Pakistan, and the communities in Pakistan are currently experience, experiencing a season of despair, a season of loss. Yet significant parts of our world seem to be silent about this. I wonder what season they are in. Maybe it is a season of discretionary giving or an intentional season of ignorance. While a church liturgical calendar would mark us, you know, in sort of the liturgical terms as being in proper 17C, ordinary time, Pentecost, so many Sundays after Pentecost, I wonder what, the season, what season the Christian community as a whole around the world alongside other communities finds itself in as it observes or pays selective attention to the plight of our brothers and sisters in Pakistan. Now, a sidebar, I wish to clarify, I'm not speaking of any one communion in particular, nor am I talking about MCC. I am talking about the Christian community in general and also the people who give to MCC and similar such nonprofit or other non-governmental organizations. While I am a little concerned about the season of what the world finds itself in, I am very concerned of all the communities around the world who profess Christ. We who profess our faith in a God who's portrayed in the gospel, we who portrayed our faith, faith, profess our faith in Jesus, who observe a season within the life of the church, framed within the birth, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus, where do we stand? What season are we in? Our psalm for this morning, Psalm 112, is a psalm of orientation. It is part of a movement or season, if you will, a movement of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. If you were with us last Sunday, you, remember, you may remember Tim Seidel referred to this. Tim also mentioned Brueggemann, who has assigned the Psalms these categories, these movements, these seasons. Brueggemann, in his commentary on the Psalms, which I also have heavily relied upon and referenced much, describes how the Psalms can be understood within the theological framework of crucifixion and resurrection. By that, he meant the moves of orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. These are moves, or rather seasons, we see in the life of Jesus. I would like to reread the psalm for this Sabbath, Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments. 
Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. They rise in the darkness as a light for the upright. They are gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. They are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn is exalted in honor. The wicked see it and are angry. They gnash their teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked comes to nothing. Psalm 112 is described by many biblical scholars as a simple ten-verse poem set in acrostic form. Paul Meyer, in his commentary on this specific psalm, describes it as a poem that lays out something of the distinctive qualities of those who would ascribe to the law of God and endeavor to live their lives by it. It breathes with something of an absolutist ethic. There's a right course and a wrong path for human living. It does not appear at first reading that there is much room for gray in this ethical system. Juxtaposing dark and light, the author provides a mental contrast between one way and another. Those who strive to stick with the path of God are counted as blessed. If I were reading this psalm through a particular hermeneutical lens, I could claim that the psalmist draws one towards certain conclusions about the life of faith. Then there are other lenses that allow readers to use this text in support of iterations of the prosperity gospel. Not only is the person blessed, but also are their children and they can expect a life of wealth and riches. I choose a different lens, a lens that provides a different image of what it means to be blessed and what riches and wealth entail. The psalmist offers a connection between riches and wealth with that of someone who is righteous and gracious, compassionate, generous, just, and who trusts in God. My lens helps me see that perhaps the wealth and riches are not to be understood as simply monetary or material ones, but as gains in what contributes to a life that is lived well with grace and compassion and generosity and justice and faithfulness. These are the treasure, treasures after which we must all strive. In a season of despair and loss, the psalm might have a different meaning for our Pakistani sisters and brothers, whose world is currently touched by violence in addition to relational and economic hardships. Sidebar, by violence, I mean violence of their homes being snatched from them and families torn apart. By relational and economic hardships, I mean having been displaced from the land that probably they have owned for generations or their families have owned for generations. And being then separated from their communities that support them in their daily living and having lost their entire livelihood. The psalm perhaps offers the people of Pakistan an alternative. 
It just might be something that Pakistanis cling to as a life jacket, a life jacket of hope. Another sidebar. Before I go on, I want to clarify that I'm not offering this as a means of proselytizing the people of Pakistan. It is simply offered as a symbol of hope for the purposes of this discourse. I do not think the psalmist is trying to say that only people who are perfect in their devotion to the commands of God or those who live a life completely in sync with the will of God will be recipients of these blessings. Instead, it seems to me that the psalmist is holding out a set of goals after which one might strive and by so doing one might be a recipient of blessings as the course of a life by faith unfolds. For one such goal, I want to turn to our second scripture of this Sabbath, Hebrews chapter 13. The passage begins, Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, and so on. Chapter 13 is the final chapter of Hebrews, a sermon with a set of ethical teachings, as Pastor Ron also pointed out. The words of the scripture list how to live as a community of faith in an indifferent or even a hostile world. The words in this passage, not forgetting the book, provides practices that set our community apart from its broader culture. In our Christian living, as we move from season to season, these words keep us on the path and on our way to our goal of new creation. The foundation for us as we move from season to season is love. Brian Love, in his commentary, points out that this love is two-dimensional. First, the call for us is to love our fellow believers in community. It's the internal dimension. Let mutual love continue. As a family, we must continue to nurture and strengthen the bond that we have amongst us as we head towards new creation. But this love also has an external dimension. As we show love to our brothers and sisters, we do not wall ourselves off as members of a distinct tribe. We're also to show love to the other the other that is not us, that looks different from us. I'm referring to the other that walks in through those doors on any given Sunday and sits beside you for several weeks and whom you do not even notice until one Sunday they stand up to speak. I refer to the other of another communion, perhaps on the opposite end of our theological spectrum. I refer to the other of another faith, I refer to the other of a different gender or of a different race or of a different class or even of a different sexual orientation. We are to show love to the stranger. The word stranger can be interpreted in multiple ways, some of which I just listed a few moments ago. But it also refers to the alien who is labeled the immigrant. Our voice, our discernment as to whether as a communion we should put our lives, put the lives of all people of color within the communion known as Mennonite Church USA at risk by heading to Phoenix is a conversation we and all other MCC congregations must intentionally engage in. That speaks of love. We are to show our love through the gift of hospitality. In the first century, in the ancient world, 
hospitality was always offered to strangers. It was all about strangers. Hospitality was a practical virtue because inns were also not reputable places. There were no holiday inns in Best Westerns, as we know. And there are many places in the world today, even places in India, where the, this is still true, meaning hotels and motels either do not exist or are not affordable to the average traveler. So friends, relatives, and sometimes, most of the times, strangers have to open their homes as a gesture of love, of hospitality. In our society here, circumstances are different. Hospitality, paying attention to the stranger, remains an important demonstration of love. But the question must be asked, what does it mean for any congregation to become welcoming and inviting in all aspects and in all seasons? Can the church be a place where hospitality is not practiced or observed as a season, but as a constant way of being? The writer of Hebrew says, when we practice love, meaning when we are hospitable, we too receive gifts because we may entertain angels without knowing it. One commentator said, perhaps the writer was thinking about Abraham in Genesis 18 or Gideon in Judges 6 or Manoah. For all of these characters, hospitality led to new stories of stories of good news and new possibilities, new life, and even new avenues of service. In other words, new seasons. If you don't know um, the stories, Abraham um, encountered the three guests um, at his tent when they came. Um, in terms of Gideon, Gideon was uh, sneaking wheat in his wine press. Um, at this time, and the angel comes to him, and then he says, you got to lead these people against the Midianites. And then Manoah, Manoah is the father of Samson. They were unable to bear children, and so then the angel of the Lord comes and says, this is it. So all three of these people encountered angels as they were hospitable. And on another sidebar, as I think of the reciprocal bit, I'm reminded of Derrida who talked about the right of hospitality, the right of a stranger not to be treated with hostility when he or she arrives in someone else's territory. And I am reminded that Brother Alan F. Weaver will be sharing about hospitality and maybe even hospitality within the post-colonial realm and how the church should respond at our MCC chapel this Thursday, 8.30 a.m. Please come. <laughs> the writer of Hebrews names two crises in particular in which hospitality should be practiced, those who are in prison and those who are being tortured. A post-colonial lens applied to this portion of the text might unravel our notions of who the imprisoned and the tortured are. Using the same lens, maybe we are challenged to continue to pay attention to the people in New Orleans people in certain segments of the population there who still find themselves in distress five years after Katrina. How do we show our love? How are we practicing our hospitality? While the list of practices in Hebrews continues with fidelity and contentment, loyalty and constancy, I want to draw our attention to the final matter on this list. And that is the mark of worship. 
And it is not just about worship. It is also about sacrifice. We are called to make an offering, offering of thanksgiving in response to the blessings we have received. We are called to offer praises as we confess Christ. More particularly, we worship God by the manner in which we live with open hands. We worship, meaning offer our resources, even in the face of an uncertain season for ourselves. Worship, according to the writer of the book of Hebrews, does not lie solely in our ritual acts in a safe, sacred space as this, ones which we call sanctuary. Worship is all-encompassing. It infuses all aspects of our living being. Generosity in and of our living and our worship translates to the righteousness that the psalmist refers to in the psalm of our Sabbath. Righteousness is a way of living in and out of the seasons of our individual and communal lives. Earlier I had mentioned that the psalm for the Sabbath might be a psalm of hope for some of our brothers and sisters in distress. While the psalm might be one of hope for the people of Pakistan and others, it is also a call to watch our own actions, to be aware of what our actions or lack thereof, might be saying and reflecting. I offer to you the psalm of the Sabbath once again. Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in God's commandments. It is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. They're not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn is exalted in honor. The wicked see it and are angry. They gnash their teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked comes to nothing. I live my life in seasons. We all live our lives in seasons. As we live through each season, whatever it may be, let us remember to be generous and in an attitude of worship. For the generosity of our living and our worship translates to righteousness. Our call is to be generous in all our being as God. Our sharing, our giving, however large or small, in any shape or form, should reflect our trust in God in all seasons and at all times. In our sharing, we worship God. In our faithfulness to our covenants, we worship God. We embody this way of life, not on the basis of our guilt or in any effort to secure God's favor. We embody this way of life, not out of fear of being deemed wicked as those who grudgingly seek to monopolize and control rather than share. We embody this life because God's grace transforms and empowers us. Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews says, regardless of the season we find ourselves in, is a constant. 
is the constant. And in all seasons, as a response, we offer both our praise and our just living with thanks. May the psalm of this Sabbath and the words from Hebrews serve as a reminder of how we might continue to construct or reconstruct and restructure our lives. May our lives be filled with long, multiple seasons of generosity and trust in God. Amen.